Welcome everybody to Zeta Global Radio. I am your host, Lainey Savante Wolken. Thank you for joining me here on another incredible Saturday where we get to bring forward wonderful, wonderful, powerful and compelling information brought by people who have lived it, walked it, and are able to guide everybody out there into uh, positive humanity is my best way of saying this. Being able to live a transparent life, being able to come out the other side, being able to share story in a heartfelt and honest way. And we've had many, many guests on the show before who have really been able to relax, take a load off, and just be in their truth. And it is with great honor today that we get to share this time with uh, a man I think many of you may know, particularly our community, who are very conscious in the health movement for children, for our families. Uh, the synopsis of his new film, The Pathological Optimist, Andrew Wakefield. We call him Andy here today because we're going to be very comfortable. Some may say Andy is the man behind the most highly controversial debated topic in modern medicine. Well, I guess we could say that that is the premise of what we're talking about. But really, I invited Andy here today to talk about sort of life beyond the media spotlight and what it is to walk a path of consciousness, walk a path of truth and transparency. So I'm going to let the floor begin right now. Welcome to the show, Andy Wakefield. So glad to have you here. Thank you very much. Great to be with you. I'm really touched. I got to watch the film the other night. I really took it in, and it really gave me pause because I, I had a lot of compassion around you, uh, coming from someone who uh, has worked in many celebrity camps. I've worked in the camp of Michael Jackson, Val Kilmer, Robert Redford, and I've seen through all my years, 30 years in the entertainment industry, what it's like to come forward, even when it hasn't been by choice, and to have uh, the media bring forward information that suddenly turns your life uh, an entirely different direction that you haven't signed up for. So I just wanted to acknowledge you first off, because I can't even imagine how many interviews you've had in, in this experience from where you were when this all started in writing, uh, uh, being part of a collective in the journal, to where you are now. So first I want to acknowledge you for that and just to thank you for uh, holding your own to this point. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Was it for you um, a journey that is still obviously in hindsight one that you didn't choose? Or in a way do you feel that you knew it was coming and this was part of it that you were holding in the truth of who you are or truth of what you considered to be the research that held uh, value for you? Yes, I think, I mean, it, it is a conscious choice. We, all, we have choices. We're faced with choices. We come to crossroads in our lives, and we can go one way or another, and we don't fully anticipate the consequences, but nor can we, and we simply don't know where this is going to go. Um, but I was faced with... Um, a compelling story from parents of children who had been ostensibly damaged by vaccines 
And these were articulate parents who uh, were not anti-vaccine at all. They'd taken their children to be vaccinated on time. And they presented a story which medicine, is, as, you, as you've got it from the film, is about pattern recognition. And, and there was a clear pattern of, of what was going on. It was, it's a very simple story in its sort of fundamental clinical essence. And, and I was confronted with uh, a dean of the medical school who said, if you continue this work, this vaccine safety research, it will not be good for your career. And I had a number of... Uh, uh, and my colleagues in pediatrics as well have said something that really to, to, to this day perplexes me, and that is, um, and these were eminent pediatricians, mm. said, um, Andy, we cannot be seen to question the safety of MMR vaccine. And that, to me, was bizarre. That wasn't a medical view or a uh, scientific viewpoint. That was purely self-preservation. It was vanity it was how you will be perceived by your colleagues if you pursue this even though it's in the interests of your patients that you do pursue it but that was their own perception of how they believed you would be perceived correct or they knew that to be a fact yes they simply as pediatricians the, the statement stood we cannot be seen to question the vaccine the safety of mmr vaccine and so that was the point at which I had to make a decision. Do I work for public health and the pharmaceutical industry or do I work for the children who have no voice um, but who have, at least on the face of it, uh, been damaged by these vaccines? And, and until proven otherwise, that is the case. And, and so that was the crossroads. And it was, you know, the, the warnings were there. And the dean had said to me, this is not going to be good for your career. And he was quite right in that, and I think he did his most utmost <laughs> to make to deliver on that as well. Um, but there it is, and and yes, of course, everything that's happened since uh, the extremes to which they've gone to destroy me and my career are uh, uh, intended one to put an end to me, and also to send an example, a, a, a message to my colleagues worldwide that if you get involved in this kind of research this will happen to you we will destroy you in a similar way and, and so yeah it's been a it's been an interesting journey for sure when that happened was there a, a a big gap was there a was there a time you had a process what they were saying to when you were moving forward and making that decision I mean and how did you come to that conclusion like I need to move forward just like you said, and give the children a voice, the unheard. So many people I speak to have to make that choice because so many children, so many voices in the world right now are not being heard and they need people like you and uh, others to stand up. So was there, a, was there a brief time? Was there, didn't have to think about it or you really had to process those choices? No, no, it was the easiest choice in the world. It was, it was quite obvious what should be done mor morally, ethically and professionally and so it was an easy choice it wasn't that I was either brave or clever it was just the way I've been raised in medicine um, firstly by my parents and, and then both doctors and then as a medical student and a, a, and a surgeon I, I that was an easy decision and and I suppose 
there was also an obstinacy as well. If you tell me that I should not do this because it's going to be bad for my career, I'm going to do it twice as hard. And <laughs> I was a surgeon. You see, and surgeon, surgery is the last bastion of barbarism. And when surgeons see something bad, they want to cut it out. And, and so it was that sort of head-on approach that others may have done it more subtly or in slightly different ways, but my approach was to open it up, take it out. <laughs> had you have had you lived uh, I mean do you come from a holistic lifestyle do you come from a spiritual background I mean sort of you know what what is behind the man that everyone you know may read or now they would definitely get it in depth from your movie there's no doubt but do you come from sort of a conscious upbringing no I we my parents were not religious my mother perhaps to some extent but not my father and, and um, both were very good, very, very good doctors. Um, but it was a, it was medicine, traditional medicine. It wasn't necessarily reliant upon pharmaceuticals. They were from a different generation and they invested their trust and their belief in the patient's story, or in this case, the, the parent of the patient's story, and, um, and believed that medicine was more of an art than a science and uh, that that was really how I came to this and my trust and my faith is very much in what I hear from the patient rather than the dogma that is handed down to me by special interests such as the pharmaceutical industry so that was it was really nothing sort of complex or mystical about it uh, but it was it that's where I, I came from I I think my, I, myself, the older I get, the more spiritual I become, and the more I realize that this perhaps is something that, you know, the path of this was laid out to some extent before I even started on this journey, and, and um, it's, it's been interesting coming to that point. Beautiful. I think what we'll do is take a quick break, and when we come back, we will uh, talk a little bit more about the film and more about you and your wonderful family that you were so lovingly showcasing and sharing in this wonderful movie. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Zeta Global Radio. Have you always wanted to learn how to meditate but don't know what to do with all the thinking? Do you wish you knew how to transcend the negative voices of your perfectionism, procrastination, anxiety, and critical self-talk? Do you have a creative project in mind but don't know where or how to start or are lacking inspiration? Spiritual and creativity coach Hallie Bourne with over 25 years of experience can support you in finding more productive ways to care for your sensitive soul and your need to create. Unveil the ways your ego is sabotaging you and reorient towards your strengths to disempower your weaknesses. Turn your creativity into a spiritual path that infuses your life with meaning and fulfillment. Visit Hallie's website at HallieBorn.com or call for a consultation at 505-249-4981 and get started with your inspired life today. Welcome back to Zeta Global Radio. If you're just tuning in, welcome to the show. Please go back and listen to the first segment. We are here today with Andy Wakefield, the man behind the movie The Pathological Optimist, Many of you know about the movie Vaxxed. Earlier this year, we had Del Bigtree on our show talking about this film. That film was so uh, 
so explosive in the media again uh, talking about of course Robert De Niro and pulling it and the whole controversy over it from removal from Tribeca made headlines whenever there's a celebrity there's headlines right uh, but now here that movie just blew it out the water and it was wonderful talking to him and now we're moving forward with a, a, an even in-depth introspective of you and just Wow, you, you have a tenacity in a drive that um, is quite unique. I'm just going to give you that. And I'm just, you know, honoring you for just keeping going. So thank you. Were you, were you shocked? Were you not surprised? How did you feel about how Vaxxed hit the, um, you know, hit headlines again when that came out? Well, then the Vaxxed was, yes, we, when we got into Tribeca, we were absolutely delighted because that for us was perhaps the preeminent film festival for our particular genre of film and of course the De Niro's have a vaccine injured child with autism and had a specific interest in this and then uh, it got pulled and that was extraordinary for a an independent film festival which is the sort of last uh, domain the dominion of, 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 of artistic expression in film that censor of film was extraordinary and in fact perhaps more damning for Tribeca than it was for us because then De Niro clearly infuriated at, at, at having been manipulated I think by uh, sponsors and the special interests of the pharmaceutical industry um, yeah went, went on the Today Show and would speak about nothing else then people must see this film and we you know effectively did the wrong thing pulling it and so it exploded across the country and across the world and it's been an, an incredible journey an incredible success which has been sustained hugely by my colleague Polly Tommy on the autism media channel who then went on tour around the country not once but twice with the Vax bus which um really created a huge movement and brought people forward who historically had not been able to tell the stories of their children's damage who had for one reason or another kept it private but then felt empowered to come forward and tell their stories and then of course the stories of the unvaccinated children and their extraordinary health uh, and it, it terrifying to to the pro-vaccine lobby but very very revealing and has Change. I guess just to give you some insight into that, every year there's a poll by YouGov when it asks the question, I think it's out of The Economist, it asks the question, do you believe vaccines cause autism? It's completely unrelated to the film, but it, it was asked before the film came out and the, uh, the, the proportion of the voting public who said definitely or probably was 13%. And one year later after Vax, but even before it had gone on the road, uh, it was 31%, and that is a massive shift in public consciousness, and that is the power of, of power, the power of film, and why I've become a filmmaker because it can get to so many people in such an effective way. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I actually was the founder of a film festival. I've since moved on um, into this platform because I now interview filmmakers and all sorts of people who are moving the world forward because the power of media is like no other. There's absolutely no way you can get a message out to the world with a different way. So films and radio and media are the voice. 
they're the voice now. I remember interviewing Leon Stuperich, who is a proponent for peace. He did a documentary on the Dalai Lama, and he was on our show. And we've since written some Huffington Post articles together. And we talk about the modern-day weapon is the camera, because this is truly how we can get these important messages across. So there's no doubt you moving into this realm is absolutely the best platform. And clearly what you've done, and, and Miranda shared on uh, the show last week about this new documentary, I mean, it's going to really allow people to understand you, your family, your journey in such, in such a way that there's no other way you could have explained that. You can't do that in a two-minute interview with someone for them to really understand what it was like for you and what it still is like for you. So I, I'm just a very excited that you brought this out. Was this, a, um, was this something you knew you were always going to do in addition to Vaxxed, or how did this feel for you when it all came together? <laughs> no, it was very different to how it may seem now. I, Miranda pursued me, and she may have discussed this with you, but she pursued me to make a film, and I wasn't interested. I, I really did not want a film about Andy Wakefield. And it, the issue is not about me, even though they've tried to focus on me. It's about something much bigger and much more important. So I really, really... I'm a sort of private individual who's been thrown into a public arena. I, I, I just didn't want a film about me. And uh, Miranda pursued me for, for a year or so. And uh, then we filed a case against the British Medical Journal and Brian Deere in defamation um, because they falsely accused me of committing scientific fraud. And, and uh, that was hugely damaging for the children because <coughs> what it meant was that their condition was being denied, was not being taken seriously, and even more was was, was allegedly fraudulent. And uh, so they were never going to get the due care that they they deserved. Um, so I said yes, and I because there was an opportunity now for documentary evidence to be brought into the court and shown in a public arena that would be captured on film. So objective evidence. So people could now see the evidence and make up their own minds. So it was not about me, it was about that. And then we were denied jurisdiction to sue Brian Deere and the BMJ in Texas. And so the case never actually got to see the light of day, which was a great, great shame. Um, and so Miranda had invested time and money in making this film, but had no third act, if you like. It was just, um, it kind of died a death. And so she had to, adapted and it became a character piece about me so it was not the film I signed up for having said that she's she's done a, a very good job with what she had and and uh, the value of it for me is it one is it I think my as you say my family come across wonderfully and my wife you know is really the sort of star of the piece and um and the other thing is that in public relations terms, what they've sought to do is to create this monster, this sort of horned, child-devouring creature in the eyes of the public. And they've succeeded in that to the extent that they've denied me access to mainstream media other than abuse. And so the public never get to see the other side. So they believe, well, that this child, this, this man does devour children and is as evil as they say. And then when they see sure. that, family, just an ordinary guy trying to do a job, they think, oh, that's not what I was told. 
And as they go through it, it's more of that. And this is not what I was told. This is, and so it has the people who have a sort of visceral response to these things. And they, they decide at a, a very basic level um, who they trust and who they believe rather than um, the media, the mainstream media. And so I think it has that value as well. And so, you know, kudos to Miranda for turning it around, getting it out there, and hopefully people will now uh, watch it and get to see another another element of the truth. Uh, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. I think it absolutely will be the case, and you couldn't have uh, nailed it any more clearer about mainstream media. That is a conversation that happens on this show quite a bit. Uh, people come on here who are very well-known, um, but they have something that's sort of left of center, if you will, uh, alternative, and don't always have the platform in mainstream media. And you would think after all this time that some of these notable figures who've written best-selling books are crossover, if you will, but we should all be able to understand, not just have this alternative media over here listening to um you know, what one faction believes is truth, and then you have mainstream that just completely um, dismantles things. Of course, we're seeing this in the press with politics like crazy now, and now everything that's stirring up in Hollywood with all the sexual harassment um, allegations and controversies. I mean, it's, uh, I bet you're sitting back and going, oh my God, <laughs> here we go again, watching people be completely, you know, it's it's on, and it's. I don't think it's ever been any different, do you? I mean, I don't remember a time where it wasn't in mainstream media doing that. No, I mean, I, it is absolutely extraordinary that we are in a situation where we can believe absolutely nothing that we yeah. see or hear or read in the media. Not only that, what becomes clear is that and the government feeds into them. I mean, this is another issue altogether, but the deception and the lies from the various political parties, not in the interests of the country, but in the interests of their own self-promotion and the co-option of, of the FBI and everybody else. Yeah, who do you can't trust anyone? You simply can't trust anyone. You're left having to trust your brainstem, your sort of fundamental... That visceral reaction I was talking about, you know, you can't, who do you rely on anymore? Uh, certainly not on anything that you read in mainstream media. And so the, the sort of door that that opens, of course, is that um, social media and films like Vax and others, against that background of skepticism, have an even more profound effect because people say, well, we knew it was a lie all along and now we know the truth. Now we know what really happened and so um, it's an interesting time uh, has it ever been different it seems to be it seems to have run amok at the moment uh, particularly in yeah. relation to sort of President Trump and efforts to prevent the government actually doing their job rather than you know the sort of mud raking I, it's, it's bizarre it's bizarre it's, it, but is it any different anywhere in the world no it's not and I think one no. of the Big problem. The industry has bought the media, and um, it's very interesting. I just want to add one more point on that. It's, it, 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 in this country, of course, beyond eighty-six, the 
government allowed the drug companies to market direct to consumer, which was a disaster. And it only happened in one other country, I believe, and that's New Zealand. We don't have it in Europe, but nonetheless, you know, there is a profound influence of the drug companies on the media in, in other countries. But here it's, it's particularly worrying. And I don't think, I don't believe drug companies advertise on uh, network television to sell drugs. I mean, when you look at the list of complications of the drugs, you know, death, destruction, horror, fire, famine, you, you, you laugh. You, don't, you wouldn't buy those drugs. What I do believe is that they, they, once they were allowed to advertise on mainstream media, they became the major source of revenue for the mainstream, for the, for the network televisions, to the extent that the mainstream media then became owned. Their lifestyle, their infrastructure was dependent upon the income of the pharmaceutical companies and therefore the pharmaceutical companies own the headlines and that's where we are right now. Wow. We're going to take a quick break. More back with Andrew Wakefield. You're listening to Zeta Global Radio. Thanks for being here. Spiritual Communities Network where we honor the uniqueness in our oneness. Visit our website to meet our vast spiritual community of healers, therapists, conscious events, and activities. Visit and check out our directory, upcoming retreats, workshops, products, free videos, and much more. Many services are available globally by phone, Skype, and other sources of media. You'll also find more information on how you can be a member to promote the work you're doing in the world. Visit us now at spiritualcommunitiesnetwork.com. Hi everyone, Lainey Savante Walken here, and I wanted to share with you a little bit about a female networking group that I've been involved with for many years now. And if you've been looking to connect with other fellow women owners and executives, both locally in your city or across the country, please consider Fem City. It is an incredible network founded by Violet Day Ayala. They have over 100,000 women with chapters in most major cities nationwide in Canada. Fem City focuses on growing all of our businesses. It's an incredible, vast network for and by members who are experts in health and wellness, spiritual, cultural and lifestyle, financial, corporate fields, media, so much more. Business for your soul is the tagline. It's just incredible. I love it. I know you'll love it. I'm a global lifetime member. I hope you check it out. Visit them today at femcity.com and learn how you can become part of an organization that continues to soar and expand so you can too. Welcome back to Zeta Global Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in here. Uh, I was joking off air uh, with Andy and telling him how much I love that he goes by Andy here today instead of Andrew. And what did you say to me, Andy? Why you go by that? I just, my mother calls me Andrew when she's angry with me and it makes me nervous. So Andy's... Andy's. I love it. That's one of better. So I didn't know what to expect when I uh, hit the play button on the film. And I think the opening scene had me with doing yoga. So it, it you know, made me th think about, are we immediately letting people know that he's a conscious being? Um, or we're just getting a glimpse into who he is. And it's just authentic. You know, I went through my mind a few different variations of it. All very positive, but I just wanted to learn more about that aspect to share with our audience about you, who they might not even know. Yes, well, I, why yoga? Yoga has been, I think, in many ways, my salvation. I, uh, I try and do an hour's yoga or more every day. Um, I exercise all my life. Since about the age of 10, I guess, I've been playing 
sport and practicing every day and played rugby for a very long time and um, got every bone broken and bent and <laughs> core every muscle and came to the point where, you know, God was saying, you've got to slow down, you can't keep doing this. And I, I went through various sports and, um, um, you know, aerobics and, and step and all that kind of thing as it came out. And certainly the scenery was a lot better than it was playing rugby. Um, but it, it, then I got to yoga and I, it, it um, I just fell in love with yoga and it, and it was a wonderful way of not only um, getting physical uh, exercise but also a much more spiritual and, and, and as I, the longer I did it the more I realized that here was a time alone uh, on a mat in a place where you could stop thinking about the world and let the the cares and troubles of everyday life just disappear for an hour or so and it revitalized you and, and sort of helped you deal with things and so um i just got more and more into it and, and now I'm, I'm going on a teaching course next year 2018 which i'm looking forward to enormously and uh, would love to teach yoga um particularly to the autism community to children young adults affected by autism, because I think there's such a yoga is something in which they can engage and uh, is requires the minimum of external influence, which can often be troubling to them, disturbing. Um, so I, it, it's it, yes, it's for me. It's been a, a wonderful journey, and uh, I feel better now than I have done in a very long time. Ah, uh, thank you for sharing that. I. Um I really receive of that, that in what you've been on through on this journey, that you've had to maintain some sort of practice um, to stay grounded, to stay in, in your center. Uh, for someone, I don't know how sensitive you are, but you've, you know, you've probably had to, um, you know, learn, new, uh, learn a new skill set unless you already had it every time you go onto the internet. And so I knew by watching the film uh, that you must not only do yoga, but just embody uh, a strengthening that is um, highly divine to keep you where you are and keep going and staying in your truth. So I was really curious about that. And I'm glad you shared about yoga and the spirituality of it, because it, it certainly is, you know, a source of how to cope through this matrix, right? <laughs> Well, I think one of the things that one has, if you are going to survive this, you have to come to terms with the fact that it's not about you. Mm -hmm. They make it about you. They focus on you. They attack you. They insult you. But it's not about you. That's all they have. So once you realize how insignificant you are, it becomes extremely enlightening extremely um it's a release you don't have to worry about it. i go down to go down to west texas down to bandera where there's no ambient light and you look up at the night sky and the universe is massive absolutely extraordinary and you realize how tiny <laughs> how irrelevant you are to everything and, and a lot of people would be find that challenging i find it absolutely liberating um and it, that enables you, once you realize it's not about you, 
it's not about you at all. You're just irrelevant because you can get on with the job and focus on the job and focus on giving a voice to children who don't have a voice and taking on these people and not being afraid of them or what they might do or the sort of uh, insidious threats that go along with doing the kind of work that you do. You just you just get on with it and that makes it so much easier. So I, my message to anyone who gets involved in this, don't read the internet, don't read the blogs, don't read the industry-funded attacks against you It's it, because it's not about you. Don't let it be made about you. Focus on the big issue and it becomes very much easier. Wow. Well, you're, you're the new spiritual teacher everyone's going to have to listen to because you just discussed fear, <laughs> detachment, <laughs> staying in your truth. I mean, all the principles that people who um, are waking up and uh, walk that life are working on is clearing those out, you know, abandoning the ego. I mean, you've been given all those lessons and clearly have, you know, mastered many. So um, thank you for, uh, you know, taking one for the team, as they say, because that's an extraordinary, um, it's like, a, you know, you carry a mantle of wisdom that could be so imparted to so many people what you've learned through this journey. And, You've also touched on something really compelling. I know we, we, we breezed through it, but the fact that you said that teaching um, yoga to um, kids with autism, that's a big deal. I mean, so many parents are looking for therapy, uh, unconventional ways or even conventional ways, ways to deal with sort of this aftermath of what has happened to their um, their child. So... Do you feel like that is a whole area of research or you're just having that experiment of your own and seeing how yoga is making differences? Yes, I, I would treat it as, rather than being a sort of experiment, I would treat it as just a uh, something that I'm quite sure at a sort of intuitive level will bring peace and harmony to their lives to some extent um, and therefore it's worth doing It's safe and effective. So I, I think that uh, unlike so many things we do with them, so uh, it's more of a spiritual approach. That's right. <laughs> uh, my husband uh, works with autistic adults and children in music therapy. He's a music producer and he's seen dramatic uh, effects on how their ability to focus and, and tune into um, the music has been extremely, uh, extremely uh, rewarding. So uh, all the methods out there, and I know people are very uh, interested in diet <clears throat> and different foods. Uh, do you find that in what you've learned and seen that diet is a major factor? I know that is its own conversation in itself, but it bears, bears discussing here with all the uh, mothers who listen in on how to feed their children and themselves. Yes, yeah, so when we, when I, I've been in this since 1995 now and parents brought to our attention the fact that um, a gluten casein free diet was of benefit to their child they would get very much better cognitively and physically when they were on this diet 100% exclusion and um, they would start sleeping and, and speaking and interacting again it would not cure their autism but they would become their quality of life improved dramatically and and so it became quite clear that they were right. And, and though, you know, we saw 
I've seen many thousands of children. It is the mainstay, I would say, of treatment is the gluten casein-free diet. And uh, it used to be extremely difficult to do this. You used to have to clear out your kitchen and start from scratch and buy new pots and pans and toasters and everything. Now, of course, every aisle in every uh, good supermarket has a, a gluten-free um part a gluten-free section and so it's now very much easier you still be careful about what you're buying but nonetheless um strongly strongly recommend as a gastroenterologist to parents that they start with this it's safe you're taking something out you're not putting something in and it's under the control of the parents and not of the medical professional the drug companies is it gluten specifically or wheat well, it's gluten. I, it, it's gluten. Um, mm -hmm. Are there other proteins in wheat that might be a problem? Uh, I don't know, but certainly gluten is a major uh, source of irritation to the intestine, and particularly, I'm told, that the gluten that comes in GMO wheat uh, because it's indigestible to a large extent and therefore in, in invokes provokes a... Uh, an immune reaction in the intestine. So I, I would strongly recommend that it, gluten seems to be the offending antigen. And the other thing is that if you do go on the diet, the your child does go on the diet, and they, they improve, then what tends to happen is there's a dramatic improvement and then they plateau. And it may well be that there's something else in the diet, like soy, that they're also intolerant of. And at that point, you can remove that. Do one or two things at a time. Don't do everything at once because then you know what's working and what's not working. It has to be 100% and it has to be over a sustained period. Some children respond very quickly. Uh, and in particular, when you take milk out, dairy products out, sleep patterns return to normal very quickly. That's often a very good clue. And children who respond tend to respond. Now, that may sound somewhat tautological, but if you respond to one intervention directed at the gut, such as an exclusion diet, then it's likely that your child will respond to other interventions directed at the gut in the same way. So these are the, you will witness incremental improvements over time as you institute these new treatments. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with one last segment with Andrew Wakefield. We're following the light every day at Escape to Paradise and Trice Massage Therapy, a holistic wellness spa for men and women. We're thrilled this year to be part of Spiritual Communities Network's Light Tour, taking place November 10th, 11th, and 12th. We'll have special demos, tours of our spa, and a daily giveaway. Come visit our collective for a chance to win a 60-minute therapeutic massage, 90-minute facial specialty, or a 60-minute Reiki session. To learn more, visit us today at sparadise.skincaretherapy.net. We're back with Andy Wakefield and discussing so many incredible topics today. Whether you are in the world of autism or you're in the world of making a difference for those that you care about, whether living a healthy lifestyle, choosing to leave toxic situations. I believe the media can be extremely toxic. We just had a conversation recently on our show about toxicity and how media 
and reading Facebook and how all these different things affect our bodies energetically and how it's so important that we, you know, protect ourselves with healthy living in a grid of, um, you know, well, health and wellness. So thank you for sharing all that. So the film is in limited release or tell us more about how people can watch the film at this point how they can find you in person. I don't know if you're touring. Let's just give people uh, how to connect with Andy further than Zeta Global Radio. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to run away from people connecting. I, 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 there's so much I have. I can tell you, I'm looking at now 16,939 unread emails. So, Oh, my Lord. Life is a little crazy. I, I Personally, I... I I'm in the middle of making another documentary and moving towards making a, a feature film. Uh, over the years, I've learned, I've been given some extraordinary stories by insiders, by whistleblowers, by parents, and it's now time to turn those into film. So that's, I'm, that will be my focus. I have been with Pathological Optimist in uh New York and LA and will be in Austin and elsewhere um, but uh, I won't be touring across the country with it it, that, it takes so much time and I've got a job to get on and do so uh, but if you I think it's uh, pathologicaloptimistfilm.com if you go there you'll get a list of all of the screenings that are going to take place and um, our distributor Cinema Libre Studios is in charge of the foreign distribution of this film, so it'll be interesting as well. Uh, it's a useful, it's a, it's a, a, a sort of a great follow-on to Vax in terms of keeping the momentum of this discussion going. And um, so I recommend it to people who want to learn more about this. The value of the film is it answers many of the questions that Vax does not answer by virtue of the, the makeup of the film. But... Um, questions that people clearly have mm -hmm. about this issue and um, yeah uh, where is it playing now I think I mean the person to contact of course is Jamie who's the in charge of public relations for the film to get all those details but the best place to go is to the website and we'll have that posted as well and a big shout out to Jamie she's terrific I've worked with her in the past and uh, you, you have a great team behind you this is a question I ask a lot of filmmakers because I also am a filmmaker I represent films and we have a lot of filmmakers on the show we never really realize when we make a film if that's uh, you know you may be you're a little bit different in this scenario to the question but the question is do we does the film end up being your life's work or do you have other aspirations well beyond the subject matter and i ask that all the time because i know when someone gets into a film it's 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 several years as we share a lot it's it's pre-production it's production then the film gets um wrapped and then you got to promote for a couple years and then it's got a shelf life depending on where it gets distributed and then what where do you where do you go from there so i'm just curious do you have other topics of interest in your world or is this completely your life's work and you're sticking with it <laughs> well it's it, uh, you know, you're right it's all consuming i mean i, I love filmmaking I, I love it and I um, am moving more and more into it I, I started screenwriting when I first came to 
America in 2004. My family was still in England and stayed there for three years. My wife said, you go over there and see if you can make it work. And if you can't, well, <laughs> good luck. And um, eventually they came over, which was great. But I had three years where I just started screenwriting and doing courses and reading and reading and reading and, and enjoyed that enormously. Not, for the re not, not, in, not with the intention of getting film made, but just for the process. I, I enjoyed the process of writing and and then it became much more focused when we had uh, the Autism Media Channel and issues of such great importance that needed to be brought to the public's attention. And then Thompson was a classic, you know, the whistleblower from the CDC, the first ever in the history of the world. That was a real, uh, that was obviously something for, for public consumption. So now I want to move more into, based on a true story feature film, um, mm -hmm. based upon some of the, the, the wonderful material, the terrifying material that's been, that's come my way. Um, and, uh, it's, yes, it's all, it's all consuming. I, I love it. It, every aspect of it from, uh, from, uh, the writing right the way through to the direction. It, then of course it, you, you want to move on to the next thing. You, you can get hung up. It's addicting, it. isn't it? It is, and, and so, and it's such a power. I'll just give you one example. The first film we made was called Who Killed Alex Bordelakis, and this was underlines the power of film. And I, it was, we were making a TV show sort of before and after treating families with autism and healing the whole family by treating the child properly and therefore allowing the parents to recover themselves. And um, we were called into a tragic case in Chicago where a child was in four-point locked restraints. Mainstream medicine had him on a succession of 28 psychotropic drugs, each one making his condition worse than the last. And it was just an utter disaster. So there he was, chained to a bed in a hospital that had no answer for his autism and was just making things worse. We Got him out of there, took him to New York, got him scoped, got him diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease, which was the source of his underlying distress. And he went back to Chicago on the right medication. And he, he, they had nowhere to live, and it was a succession of disasters, medical and otherwise, where ultimately a psychiatrist took him off the right medication for his bowel, which was his improvement, and put him back on psychotropics, and he just tanked. And he was, we were called back in, he was in locked restraints in the pediatric intensive care unit, a Lutheran hospital where he was on three incredibly powerful intravenous and intramuscular medications to no effect whatsoever. And halfway through the week, his insurance ran out. They took out his IV and put him out on the street. And a week later, his mother stabbed him to death and tried to kill herself. And uh, the godmother was saying, they could no longer bear to live with this child suffering. There was nowhere for any of them to go, and we're seeing there's more and more of this. Now, she was then put in for four years. She was in uh, Cook County Prison um, awaiting trial um, on a charge of murder, aggravated murder, which meant that there was no chance of parole. Oh, my God. Which we'd been filming, we, and we had not realized, of course, that we were filming the prelude to what was alleged a murder-suicide, and it was unique in that respect as a documentary. So we decided to put this together, and we finished it, and it was, it was a compelling story, and, and the irony of the title, of course, was that who killed Alex Bordelakis, who actually the medical system killed Alex Bordelakis. And, and uh, 
I got a call just before Christmas of 2017 from from her lawyer, her pro bono lawyer, a lovely man called Aldo Botti, who said that the state's prosecutor had heard there was a film and asked to see it, and they sent him the DVD, and he called back a week later and said, we can no longer prosecute this case in the same way. She will be released from prison next week. So that is the power of film. It changed everything. It changed the perception of this state's prosecutor from aggravated murder of this insane woman to a realization of the tragedy that affects families affected by this condition. It was, it was extraordinary. And uh, Dorothy came out of prison and watched the film. And... You don't have to convince me about film. I, yeah, it's clear that it is, it is our modern-day um, medium to do the work that all of us are doing. And I just want to really thank you for taking the full hour here today and spending it with us sharing story, sharing your wisdom, sharing where you're going, where you've been. And, and again, you had 16,000. I don't know how many emails you said. So it was a real pleasure having you here. Stay on the line. I'm going to talk to you for a minute afterwards. I want to wish everybody a wonderful, blessed week. And thank you for listening. This show will have an archive podcast shared on our Facebook page. Please go over to Zeta Global Radio. And when this archive is up, I encourage you to share it far and wide. Let everybody you know about it, about what is going on. Please go to the pathologicaloptimistfilm.com. Keep an eye out for this new documentary. Uh, and I wish all of you uh, great health, a great week, and thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.